Well, good morning. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I'm not a bumper sticker kind of guy. I don't have any bumper stickers on my car, but I, I do like reading them on other people's cars. And in fact, I'd like to share with you some of my favorites. I mean, this is one that actually could be on my car. I, I finally got my life together, but I forgot where I put it. Some of you have that same problem. You're not sure where you parked your car, are you? Uh, you know, this is one that could be on my wife Patty's car. How many roads must a man travel down before he admits he's lost? I, I really like this one. It's one of my favorites. Cat, the other white meat. <laughs> I'm a dog lover, okay? I don't want any letters from you cat lovers, okay? I just like that bumper sticker. One that is really thought-provoking is this. Remember, stoplights time for 35 miles an hour, also time for 70. You didn't realize that, did you? Of course, my favorite bump, bumper sticker of all times is this one. When God made heads, he covered those he didn't like with hair. Now, that, that wasn't true of the church at Thessalonica. I mean, that was a church... God loved, and Paul was enamored with. Uh, in fact, did you know in this small letter to the church at Thessalonica, there's not a single word of correction, not a word of rebuke. Instead, on two different occasions, Paul encourages them to excel still more. So the question I have is, what made this church different? What was it about this church that enamored Paul so? Well, if you would turn with me to First Thessalonians, uh, the second chapter, beginning in verse 13, we'll answer that question together. And notice it begins this way. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God which also effectively works in you who believe. Now, the first thing that's apparent in this passage is that Paul is captivated by this church. Notice, he thanks God for them. Now, th th this wasn't a group of easygoing, fun-loving people. Uh, these were real people, and they had real problems. So why is Paul so thankful? Well, notice carefully, it's because they receive the Word of God. Right from the start, Paul identifies the first habit uh, that was evident among the Thessalonians and needs to be in our lives, and that is we need to embrace the Word of God. Now, now not too long ago, I, there was a knock at my front door, and I answered the door, and there were two scouts standing there, and they asked me if I'd like to buy any popcorn. They were conducting a fundraiser. Well, I... Our cupboard was full of popcorn. In fact, I think we had the popcorn we'd bought from these two scouts the year before that we hadn't eaten. But I, mean, I like scouting, and I admire what they do. And I said, sure, why don't I, I'll buy one box. And they told me how much. I wrote out the check. I handed it over, and they gave me the box of popcorn. And they turned to leave, and I thanked them for coming by the house. Uh, sometime after that, a couple of friends of ours from North Africa pulled their car up in our driveway. 
Uh, Sean and Terry Willoughby, we've known them for the past 10 years, and they were on furlough. And when I noticed their car pull up in the driveway, I threw open the door, I bounded out of the house, I ran down the walk, and I gave them both big hugs. I said, it's so great to see you. Come on in. Now, I want you to notice Paul uses two different words to describe the Thessalonians' response to the Word of God. Notice the first is that they received the Word. That simply means they accept it. Uh, It means to look at something objectively, to understand it for what it is, just like I uh, received the scouts at my door. In other words, this was a church that appreciated the Word of God, just like I appreciated the scouts. I mean, they held it in high esteem. They, they recognized that when Paul came to them and gave them the good news of the gospel, it, it wasn't words sourced in philosophy. It, it wasn't just a good idea. It was more than wise sayings that will improve your life, a code of conduct. I mean, they recognized it for what it was, not the words of men, but the words of God. Do you know the Word of God is described as the very breath of God in 2 Timothy 3.16? It's also called the bread, the bread that brings spiritual sustenance in Matthew 4.4. It's depicted as the water that can quench your thirst. It's portrayed as the light that can illuminate your way. It's the truth that will never mislead. It's compared to riches and fine gold and truth uh, and great spoil in the Psalms. But it's also referred to as milk and meat and honey to those who do more than just simply read it, but they digest it. Now, that's the Word of God. And this church recognized it as such. But the reception went far beyond mere appreciation. I want you to notice the second word Paul uses to describe their response. It's the word welcomed. It means to embrace, to accept wholeheartedly, to make someone or something feel at home. I mean, notice how Paul says it. You welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is, in truth, the word of God. You see, that's the difference between uh, the way I responded to the scouts and the way I responded to the Willoughby's. When the scouts came to my door, I I mean, I recognized them as scouts. I was polite to them. I hold scouting in high esteem. But when the Willoughby's came to my door, I bounded out the door, down the walk. I grabbed them, hugged them, kissed them. I grabbed their luggage, pulled it into the house. I got them set up in our other bedroom. And then we sat down and we engaged in conversation, in interaction with one another. You see, this, Paul is saying, was a church that didn't just appreciate the Word of God. They appropriated the Word of God, meaning they engaged with it. They took it in. They digested it. You know, I have a concern today as I look at the churches in America that we have an overabundance of bulimic Christians. Some of you have wrestled with bulimia. In fact, uh, 
Dr. Raymond Bath describes it this way, bulimia is an illness with reoccurring compulsive episodes of binge eating followed by self-induced vomiting or purging with laxatives. And some of you know firsthand the suffering that exists with this disorder. And it not only affects you, but it affects those around you, your loved ones. A person with bulimia will take in huge quantities of food and then almost immediately uh, they purge, they vomit, denying the body the nutrition it desperately needs. And spiritually speaking, bulimia is hearing the Word of God, even studying the Word of God without applying the Word of God to your life. I mean, the great danger you and I face as Christ followers is listening to a CD or hearing a message or reading a book about the Word of God, but never applying it to our life. It's in our minds, but it hasn't been integrated into the values of our lifestyle. In fact, the mark of spiritual maturity is not how much we understand, but how much we use with regard to the Word of God. In fact, in the spiritual realm, the opposite of ignorance is not knowledge, it's actually application. And that's why James says in the book that bears his name, but be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So what Paul does for us is he he really describes two different kinds of Christ followers here in verse 13. He's talking about those who receive the Word on one hand and then those who welcome the Word on the other. Uh, It's those who understand it compared to those who embrace it, wrestle with it, engage with it, and apply it to their life. And the difference between these two is not how long they've gone to church. It's not how many years of seminary they have under their belt. The difference between the two is how they apply what the Word says about their lives. You see, contained in this book are the words of life that lead to an encounter with the living God. In fact, I remember a friend pulling me aside that tell me how the Word had intersected his life. As we sat down over lunch, uh, he mentioned to me that he'd been listening to a, a series uh, in the church that uh, had to deal with our finances and our possessions. And he felt like God was encouraging him to be more generous with what he owned. And then he admitted, he says, Doug, I'm just not a generous person. I mean, um, I kind of hold things tight. And then he confessed, he said, in fact, I'm not very good at handling money. My credit card has over $17,000 in debt on it right now. And he admitted that he didn't think that was anything that glorified God. But as we talked, I found that he was really wrestling uh, with Second Corinthians um, 9-11, where, where Paul's encouraging the church at Corinth to be generous. And he says that if you are generous with God, then God will enrich everything for all liberality. Those were his words. 
In other words, if you are generous with your time, talents, and treasure with God, God is going to be generous with you. Now, it's not a one-to-one correspondence. You don't be generous so you'll get, but he says somewhere in your life there will be an enrichment and it will be liberally engaged with your life. And my friend told me that he's been wrestling with this. You see, he was a man that didn't just want to receive the Word of God. He welcomed it into his life. And he was wrestling with what it said because he wanted to embrace it and allow it to be integrated into the values of his life. Well, several months later, we got together and I just inquired, how are you doing with uh, wrestling with your generosity? And he said, well, uh, I've been taking some baby steps. And it's been hard. He said, Doug, I I never considered giving money away. Not, Not because I didn't want to, but because I was just in such debt. I needed to get that paid off first. But, you know, as I've been reading what Paul said to the Corinthians, I... I feel like we need to give off the top out of the first that comes in, not the leftovers, if anything's left over. And so we started giving. And I was surprised. And then he went on to say, you know, there have been some months we've just barely made it. There have been other months there's been money left over. We've never lacked anything. And then he shocked me. He said, so we're considering increasing our giving. Now, I want to say, no, wait, 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 that's taking a little too far. I mean, you've got debt. You've got $17,000 worth of debt. You hadn't even started to pay off. But I could tell God was working, and he was engaging with the Word. And so I just listened and asked questions. Well, about five, six months later, we got together, and I said, how are you doing with your experiment on taking God's Word for what it says? And a smile crept across his face. He said, it has been an amazing journey. He said, just two weeks ago, I noticed a Cadillac Escalade pulled into our driveway. And when I went out the door to see who it was, this couple tossed me the keys and said, you know, we were thinking about trading it in on a new car, but we thought it would be more fun just to give it away. It's yours. And my friend was just shocked. I mean, with with tears working its way down his cheek, he said, Doug, it... I never imagined that. And and then they told me that I could actually sell it. And Doug, if I sold this car, it would pay off all my debt, the 17000 credit card debt, plus give me several thousand left over. And he just burst into tears when he said that. You see, what I was watching was an encounter with the Word of God that naturally led to an encounter with the living God. I mean, this was a man who wanted to embrace, to welcome, and he wrestled with what this book said about one little area of his life. And suddenly, his picture of God changed. And his heart, it engaged at a level that he never imagined possible. And there was a tangible picture of God's care for him. Isn't that what we really want in life? To engage in a heart-enlarging way with our Savior? That's what this book 
allows you to do. So Paul begins by saying we need to embrace the Word of God as the first habit. But secondly, he says we are to imitate the example of God. Look at verse 14. It says, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen just as they did from the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us and they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sin, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Wow. I think it's obvious that this church was persecuted. In fact, when we began the study uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked in Acts 17 and saw that uh, a group of local Jews hired some mercenaries to create such havoc in uh, Thessalonica that it would force Paul, Silas, and Timothy to leave. And so when Paul agreed to leave and head south, they agreed to stop the persecution. But, I mean... Apparently, it hadn't stopped. Have you ever wondered why we don't experience the same kind of persecution they did back in the first century? I mean, we got it relatively easy here in Cincinnati. I mean, compared to Thessalonica or to uh, Jerusalem, for that matter. I mean, is it because our, our laws protect us and give us freedom? Well, I, th- I think they, they do have something to do with it to give us more freedom. Uh, but uh, it could be that we're simply not doing something significant that causes the resistance of the enemy to bring about persecution in our lives. I mean, a benign church is a threat to no one. Or maybe it, it might be the enemy has no need to persecute us because we tend to do it to ourselves. I mean, as I travel across this country with family life, I I see this happening time and time again. We we don't do it to ourselves overtly, but we do know how to gossip about another person. And we do know how to spread rumors, especially when things don't go the way we think they ought. And instead of going and talking to the person we've got an issue with, uh, we hide away and talk about them behind their back. And we draw these logical conclusions about their motives. Then as we talk about them, we end up slandering a reputation. It's sad, it's hurtful, and worst of all, it hurts the church. The body of Christ is wounded. And some of you have have been in churches that you've seen that happening among the congregation. And notice here, it grieves God's heart. I mean, Paul puts it this way, they do not please God and are contrary to all men. In other words, it affects God, but notice it also affects all men, Christ followers and those that aren't. And notice that phrase, so as always to fill up the measure of their sin. That's an unusual phrase. What does it mean? It just simply means that God lets them keep going. He lets them dig their hole even deeper. He wants them to come eventually to the end of their rope, their destructive ways. I mean, I wish He didn't. I wish He'd 
Grab them by the nap of the neck and pull them up and say, cut that out. It's hurting the church, my bride. But he doesn't many times, most times. Why is that? Because he wants their sin to be seen as utterly sinful. So what Paul's saying here is that some imitate the enemy's strategy. In other words, they do his work for him in the church. But also notice some imitate the life of Christ. It says that they became imitators of the church of God, which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen. Do you find what he said there interesting? They are imitating a church a thousand miles away in Judea. A group of people they've never seen, they've never met, they've never observed. I mean, how do they know what that church is like and the people are like in that church? I mean, have they been watching a video series about persecution that takes place in the Jerusalem area? I mean, hardly. So so what was the connection between those two churches, the one in Thessalonica and the one in Jerusalem? It was the common goal they shared. They were both moving toward godliness. The Holy Spirit was moving these churches closer to one another. I mean, not geographically, but behaviorally. As each church pursued their goal of godliness. They were imitating one another because both churches were imitating the life of Christ. Now, you've probably never heard of Steve DeVore's. He he is the founder of a company that's based on the principle of role modeling. DeVore's was the founder of CyberVision, a company that distributes instructional videos about everything from golf to bowling to weight loss. It's not a new age approach to learning. I mean, it's really an ancient master-apprentice approach just established in different settings. You know, when divorce was in college, he was wasting time one day in the dorm watching television. What was on television was a bowling tournament. And he was just watching it, kind of had his mind in neutral, when suddenly the thought occurred to him, you know, if I could emulate the movement of those bowlers, I ought to be able to duplicate their results. And so for the next 30 minutes, he played careful attention to the TV screen, and he, and he noticed, made note of you know, the movement of the hands, the feet, the hips, the head. And for 30 minutes, he studied it. Then he immediately ran out, got in his car, went down to the local bowling alley, rented a lane and a ball. And for the next 30 minutes, he did just as the pro bowlers. He threw nine straight strikes. Uh, He scored 278. His highest score up to that point had only been 163. He increased his performance 115 pins by doing what? Doing just as. He did just as the professionals. You see, if we'll pay close attention to the methods of Jesus to love, to serve, to engage with other people. If 
If that becomes who you imitate in your life, then you're going to score high. High in the area of satisfaction and fulfillment in life because you're going to find yourself partnering with the supernatural, partnering with the living God. In fact, the study that we're going to take up after the study of this book, First Thessalonians, is going to be the study of the book of Mark. Well, we'll be looking at a proficient role model. So Paul begins by saying they need to, we need to embrace the Word of God. Secondly, we need to imitate the example of God. But notice, he also says, lastly, we are to be moved by the glory of God. You know, everyone is motivated by something, but a heart-enlarging engagement with God comes by being moved by God's glory. Notice what he says, verse 17. But we, brethren, having taken, having been taken away from you for a short time in present, not in heart, endeavor more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. I mean, it's obvious Paul's not ashamed to express his affection for these people. In fact, he says that he feels like he has orphaned them. That's what the word taken away refers to. But the word he uses here is more dramatic than that. It's intensified. It implies that he feels like the Thessalonians were ripped out of his hands when he, when he visited Thessalonica and introduced these people to Christ. They were just babes in Christ, only there maybe three, four weeks, and then he was forced to leave. He wants them to know that to him it felt like a child was being ripped out of his hands. So he tells them he's made every effort to return to them, but he's found it impossible. Notice who's kept them, him from doing that. He says, Satan has hindered us. You know, in ancient times, one of the most effective countermeasures an army would use against an opposing force was to dig a massive trench in front of their lines that would slow down but hopefully stall the invading army. And when an army becomes stalled, they become easy targets. Now, you need to know that's the imagery Paul uses here when he uses that word hindered. It means to be stalled. In other words, uh, Satan has put some kind of obstruction in the apostle's way that has kept him from reconnecting with his, ch- the, his children of faith. Remember, he was forced to leave. He had to head to Athens, then to Corinth. But he did send Timothy back to encourage this uh, brand new baby church. But I want you to notice that just because he's stalled doesn't mean his joy is deterred. Look at verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and our joy. I mean, does that surprise you what Paul says here? I mean, you expect him to say, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not Christ? But instead, he says, is it not you? You are our glory and our joy. 
You see, I think Paul and the Thessalonians together are beginning to see that there is a joy in this life that's beyond what do I get out of this life. It's beyond what can I accomplish. It's a joy that's beyond my own personal peace and comfort in this life. I think he understood that there is an adventure for him and an excitement of engaging other people with the life of Christ. Intersecting another person's life by your words and your actions that has impact on them because they just don't see you, but they begin to see the life of Christ in you. And then Paul tells us there's a future out there where we will all stand before Jesus and our crown, our joy, our glory will come from those people who are standing alongside of you, who look at you and say, I'm different because you intersected my life. It's because of you. You stepped out of your solitary confinement and purposely engaged me. And it's made all the difference in my life. You see, every one of us in this room is a Christ follower. Has been designed by God to be a man or a woman that makes a profound difference in the life of someone else. I mean, do you know what that's really like? It's like the ripples that radiate out from a stone that's thrown into a perfectly still pond. Until that entire pond is impacted by the actions of that one single stone. That's really being an irresistible influence among the people around you by your words and your actions. Father, may we be that kind of church. A church that listens to you, engages with your word, follows your example, but engages with others and become an irresistible influence in their lives so that one day they might look us in the eye and say, I'm different because of you. May that be the legacy of every person in this room. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, I thought it might be fun to actually hear a story of someone who's tried to do that. You know, all of us are trying to figure out how to receive how to welcome the Word of God into our life, and to try and invest that into the people around us. And so I thought we'd uh, ask Jay, uh, you have uh, been challenged by some of the things Doug has said and have tried to do that in your son's life. So tell us a little bit about the, the process by which you got challenged to invest in other people. Well, Doug challenged us, uh, the men who have been a part of the quest for authentic man, excuse me, <clears throat> manhood, uh, by the way, it's one of the three series that he's been doing, 609 on Tuesdays. Every man should go. It's, it's awesome. Uh, the challenge was to find a way to memorialize a milestone in your son's life. My son's 20. He turns 21 next month. And I thought, what better time? So um, we, uh, with Doug's help, my wife's help, and others, we set up a surprise birthday ceremony uh, ceremony at uh, Ribs King. I invited the men in his life who have had an impact and to whom he looks up. And um, uh, I asked each of the men to write a letter to Adam to impart some words of advice and, and just share parts of their lives that 
that uh, they'd like to share with him. So much like one of the verses right before this that Doug's been speaking on, it turned out to be an, an imparting of both Scripture and their lives into mm-hmm. Adam's life. Mm-hmm. And it was awesome. That's good. I remember Doug gave a message on that a couple years ago. My son was turned 13, um, so I took him up to Sturgis with my father and a bunch of men, and we did something similar. We baptized him with different colors of uh, Gatorade as a way of representing character qualities we saw in him, and he still talks about how that was a significant thing. Now, how about other areas? Um, you know, for some of us, uh, we're going to do it in our family, but are, what are other ways that you've seen or been involved in the church where you've seen ways that you can invest in other people, you know, here, near, and far? Well, they're all over the place, and they are here, and they are far, Belize. Uh, there are plenty of teaching opportunities uh, back in East Station. Um, you, can, uh, you can join up in a Bible study. You can come to the men's uh, uh, seminars on Tuesday mornings. Mike Marker's got a great idea with the book of John, just one-on-one study. So there really are a whole lot of ways where you can impact others and you can be impacted in the process. Yeah, in fact, that verse uh, that we talked about, the difference between, as Doug mentioned, the difference between receiving God's word and welcoming it. One of the things is you came in today, we gave you a copy of uh, some scriptures. So part of the series, we want to challenge all of us to memorize some scriptures. So some of you may have gotten that last week and forgotten about it. Honestly, I would have forgotten about it, except my wife set these cards right up on the kitchen counter. And so every time I go to wash my hands, uh, I see the verses. So I started working on two of the easy ones last week. So one says, um, comfort one another and edify one another, just as you're already doing. I love that idea with your son. You're, it's not like you do it once and then, hey, I'll tell you if it changes. How do you continue to encourage or build up one another? So another verse I was applying uh, this week um, as I was skiing with my son, Quinn. So he's five, and as you know, he has special needs. And the verse goes something like, uh, Rejoice always, um, for second, pray in all things, uh, be thankful in all things, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I was thinking, what does it look like for me to thank God in all things? So I'm skiing with Quinn, and he's just having a great time skiing between my legs. And if you ever tried to ski with a five-year-old, especially one who's autism, uh, he's having a great time. This is just sensory heaven for him. But my knees are killing me because I'm in constant uh, snowplow mode. His hands are in the air, so my back has bent over. When our eighth time down the ski slope, he dropped one of his skis, so I had to go down into a gully while holding him. It's just painful. Yet the joy he was having in the midst of it, and I thought, that verse came to mind. I said, God, right now I want to give thanks to you in all things. I just had this moment in the midst of uh, the difficulty of saying, you know what, God, thank you that I have a son that I might be able to ski with for the next 20 years. This might be the one thing we do together in the midst of his autism. I tell you, it's like the word of God came alive in that moment, and I felt God in the midst of it. So this is not just a to-do list. This isn't just busy work. We're hoping this is a way that you can have verses that God will bring to mind in those moments in your life. And whether it's encouraging your son in his 20s, whether it's uh, walking with your family or your employees, we want to find ways in which we can live this thing out. So thank you for being here today. And I want to have a prayer for us, and we'll close it out. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's alive. Thank you that it's a, a sword. Thank you that it's healing. Thank you that it changes us. And we ask that as your word is hidden in our heart, that you will begin to develop passion for you, and you'll begin to show us how we can be a, a vessel or a conduit of your love and grace to those around us that you love so dearly. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much. See you all next week.